Baseball is back. Save 40%. You don't want to miss exclusive in-depth coverage of this unprecedented sports season. Get unlimited access to breaking news, in-depth stories, and expert analysis on what's going to be a strange, enthralling, very watchable sports season. Don't miss our exclusive coverage. Subscribe now and save. Subscribe to The Athletic to see the creativity reporting, and storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. And if you go to theathletic.com slash bagsandbrisby, you can receive 40% off an annual subscription. Sports are back, and you won't want to miss breaking stories on your favorite teams. So go to theathletic.com slash bagsandbrisby for 40% off an annual subscription. We hope to see you there. High in the air, Brito back at the wall, adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy, they're going to get accountability, they're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another, and I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 91 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly, and we're going to talk a little baseball. How you doing, Andy? I'm okay. How are you? I am doing well. If you had to give your top five Billy Hamilton memories as a giant, uh, give me a power ranking. Your, your fondest <laughs> Billy Hamilton rankings. Are, is he a better giant than uh, Desi Relaford? My favorite Billy Hamilton memory is, is actually when he totally single-handedly got in Johnny Cueto's head because Johnny Cueto was so <laughs> determined to pick him off base. And uh, and then like Cueto gave up like eight home runs in the inning or something I forget it was goofy but I I loved it how 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 Johnny Cueto always told Billy Hamilton when they were together in Cincinnati I'm picking you off man and and Hamilton was like no way and it totally the, like the game broke down it became only about those two guys and and Billy won he got in Johnny's head and I thought you know what maybe the Giants will have that little element working in their favor this year and then extra innings comes up with the you know the runner on second base oh that's perfect but alas no room for Billy Hamilton at the uh at the inn of San Francisco you know I don't want to read too much into the move but it it seems to me this is a move that's made when you're happy with Mike Estremski's defense is that reading too much into it yeah I, I think it's totally in every way a reflection on Mike Estremski um what he's doing to be an everyday player what he's doing to hold down center field the fact that center field is playing the way it is and, and it's not as big as center field you can play a little shallower because you know the wall's 10 feet closer to you um I think all those things are a factor and you know the fact that they probably wanted Hamilton on the roster, especially early when they could carry 30 players. But as of Thursday, they're going to go down to 28. So I think they're looking at making some tough choices. And they're like, hey, man, we can't have a pinch runner on this team uh, who's only a pinch runner when we're about to lose some roster spots. So uh, off to the Mets he goes. And, you know, I don't want to make this the the Billy Hamilton trade podcast, but at the same time, I'm really impressed that the Giants actually got something in exchange for Billy Hamilton. That's not a slight towards Hamilton. I just figured with the roster crunch around the league, it would be tricky to to get 
something of value back. And the Giants got Jordan Humphreys, who, uh, depending on which source you're going with, may be a top 30 prospect in the Mets organization. He's only pitched two games in the last couple of years because of Tommy John surgery. But before that, right out of high school, he was throwing strikes, like a freaky amount of strikes. And he was healthy enough to pitch in the Arizona Fall League last year. He was up in the mid-90s, or I'd say 93-94 in spring this year. I don't know. There's something there. And I'm, I'm just really impressed. That, that's a neat little magic trick that Zaidi pulled off. Yeah. And, you know, one thing to, to note is that the Mets had designated him for assignment. So basically what the Giants did is they saved him from being claimed by the Marlins <laughs> and going <laughs> and going to the and going to, to the, uh, the the cesspool of disease that is the Marlins uh, clubhouse and dugout. So, yeah, I think the Giants probably actually might have just saved somebody. But, yeah, Jordan Humphreys, he is optioned to the alternate site in Sacramento. Ah, the alternate site still sounds creepy. Okay, Uh, we're going to talk about the Giants series since we talked on Thursday. Since then, the Giants have played three games. Two of them were pretty darn good games against the Texas Rangers, and they continue to look like a functional baseball team. There are issues that maybe, you know, Jeff Samarja isn't looking quite right. Uh, Velocity's not there. He had a blister, so he's not throwing the split finger. But there's stuff going on that I'm not opposed to. What are your thoughts over the weekend? Yeah, I think you have to be encouraged by the offense. I think we all knew that they were going to have a pretty decent number of right-handed threats against left-handed pitching. And early on, they were really struggling against right-handers. But I think that this lineup is going to be okay. I think that they're going to score more runs than, than we've seen. I like the approach of hitters in general, whether it's Donovan Solano or, or Yastrzemski or even like uh, Ivan Longoria comes off the deal and he's scalding the baseball. Brandon Crawford's got a more open stance and he was making a lot of hard outs and now he's hitting them off the arcade. And Hunter Pence starts over 23, but Gabe Kapler sticks with him, not only starts him, but starts him in the cleanup spot. And puts him in left field and he hits a triple and works a walk and makes a nice catch in foul ground that I didn't think he had a prayer of getting to. So, you know, I think some of the veteran players have shown some good spark and some good life and you got to be encouraged with their ability to come back, their ability to hit the ball out of the ballpark. It might be one of the more lively offensive teams that they've had, which isn't a high bar to to clear in recent years, but it's still nicer than watching, you know, a home game where basically you're able to cheer like once because they got, you know, three hit by Jordan Lyles or somebody. So yeah, that part is encouraging. The pitching part, some concerns there. Yeah, that is the right reaction when it comes to the pitching. We'll we'll get to that. Let's talk a little bit happier thoughts just for a brief second, because you mentioned the the lineup against left-handed pitching and that is improved so much if you can assume that Mike Yastrzemski is a part of that. If you are looking at these at-bats and you're looking how he's staying in against left-handed pitchers and how he's seeing them well, now you get to really stretch out that left-handed lineup and it looks even better. You've got one of your better hitters still in there. You don't have to play around with the ultra-platoon lineup. And what Yastrzemski's doing on both sides of the ball, obviously it's the story of the season so far, but it just makes every little part of the Giants, what they're trying to do, it makes it better. Yeah, I agree. And you could say the same thing, I think, for Longoria, if he's able to have those kind of productive games against right-handed starters, because those two guys are probably the only two everyday players that they have and that are going to be the lineup, you know, uh, six days out of seven or whenever they have a day off, it's it's 
more to give them a rest than it is for a matchup purpose. And, you know, the, the more production they get out of those guys, I mean, it's obvious. Not only are they taking the most plate appearances, but they're going to provide you the most stability. So, yeah, I think they're the two most important offensive players on the team. And we talk a lot about sample size. And in a 60-game season, it, look, we're not going to know a whole lot of, of what's really going on underneath the hood. But the quickest stat to stabilize is strikeout to walk ratio. That that stabilizes real, real fast. And Mike Yastrzemski has 11 walks and 11 strikeouts. And that's in 46 plate appearances. It's his eye. His discerning eye has been what's impressed me as much as anything he's doing this season. He's taking walks. He is spitting on the pitches he can't hit. And I didn't think that that was a skill that you could really develop in the major leagues in your late 20s. I, I thought you're kind of fully formed when it comes to that, but whatever he's doing, it, it's working. Yeah, and I also like some of the aggressive swings that people are taking too. It's it's not just being too passive and trying to work walks. I mean, you know, we, we've seen players who had a nice, you know, rosy OBP, but then you realize, oh, they get challenged and, and they can't really necessarily, I mean, you got to have that other side of the coin, right? You got to be a threat to be able to draw walks. Um, and, and and I think we've seen some guys be able to attack pitches. Uh, I, I'm seeing some of these down and in pitches to Donovan Solano and Wilmer Flores that are being barreled. And I'm like, wow, I, I mean, these are good at bats. These are dangerous swings. And uh, um, it's, I mean, it really has been a revelation. They, they had a really good offensive homestand. Now to the pitching. And we Ooh. talked about Jeff Samarja and that, it, that just doesn't look like it's working out. I've, of course, I wrote a, this article about you know, the Giants are going to really rely on Jeff Samarja because he's going to give them innings that they can be redistributed to the bullpen, blah, blah, blah. It was a bad article. Don't read it. Um, but, you know, the, the pitching all over, it's just really hit and miss. I mean, we Tyler Rogers uh, just not quite there. Maybe he had a little bad luck, but in general, he's not putting the ball where he needs to put it, and he needs to put the ball exactly where he wants to. You have Andrew Triggs dropping out of the sky and walking Jeff Mathis in his first at bat or first uh, plate appearance with the Giants. Uh, that is a bad sign. That is the reddest of red flags. You have, uh, you know, Drew Smiley was looking good. Now he's hurt. It's going to be a lot of panning for gold, and I'm not sure gold is what they're panning for. They're just panning for something useful, like like aluminum foil, just a nice thing of <laughs> aluminum foil. Got got some bauxite. Uh, can I interest you in some bauxite? Um <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, the way that they've pitched is not sustainable. It, it's just not. I mean, Samarja was the first guy uh, to, to go five innings in the 10th game of the season. And no team ever in history has played nine games in a season, the first nine games, and not gotten five innings from a starting pitcher. I mean, we know this is a crazy weird season. We know that, you know, uh, they, they planned for that Dodgers series to open, um, you know, to kind of piece it together and not have anybody go, you know, face a lineup a third time. But you know, now they're going uh, after not having a day off, going jumping right into a road trip. Now they have 10 games in a row at, on the road. It's going to be 16 games by the time it's all said and done. It starts at Coors Field. And I remember talking to Brian Sabian about this years ago. He would look at the schedule, and the first thing he'd look at is where are the three trips to Denver. And he would hope and pray that they would be at the end of a road trip, followed by a day off, and then a homestand. As opposed to starting a trip, that was what he did not want. And this is starting with four games at Coors Field. Oh, and by the way, the last day you're there on the Thursday, you have to reduce your roster by two places, and then you go 
to Dodger Stadium, the one place where they most want to scheme and set up their pitching, and now they're not going to be able to. I mean, it's going to be almost impossible for them to know what they're going to have for that Dodger series. And then after that, the Houston Astros, another decent team. So, you know, it's this is going to really be a difficult road trip if they can't start to get some length out of Kevin Gossman, Johnny Cueto, Logan Webb. Those guys are really going to have to step up. Yeah, these are all good, uh, dare I say, harrowing points. <laughs> I didn't think that about starting a road trip at Coors Field. I mean, four games at Coors Field is just, it, that's always been the, the Giants kryptonite. Good team, bad team. Playing four games at Coors Field, it just it, it's unfair. That's it's it's a it's a weirdo park, a weirdo situation. Uh, the Giants get it back a little when the Rockies come to Oracle Park and they're discombobulated because they're not at altitude anymore. So I, I feel bad for the Rockies franchise because they don't really know quite how to navigate Coors Field. Uh, but it's when you have to go in there, it's just a house of horrors. Yeah, and I really I was sort of making notes to myself to figure out. How are they going to do this with the pitching? Because, like you said, Drew Smiley has uh, tweaked his finger and uh, he's got a pulley injury with his finger. And good luck with that. We we all know how pulley foot finger injuries are. You know they're they're just not good. Um, but uh, yeah, I haven't heard of that one before. But he, so he, you can't use him at Dodger Stadium, and they liked him so much against the Dodgers, they schemed a way to use him twice in the first series, and now they're not going to have him at all. And Tyler Anderson comes out of the bullpen. Obviously, he gives up the homer. Uh, yesterday to Joey Gallo, but he only threw 26 pitches. It looks like he probably would be an option to go into Smiley's spot. But, you know, how, how do you line these guys up? I mean, you've got, uh, what, four games at Coors Field and then Dodger Stadium. So the opener at Dodger Stadium would be Jeff Samarge's turn, and he's the guy they tried to hide from the Dodgers the first time around. So I'm really going to be interested to see how they try to line up their pitching here, whether they use openers, I, I don't know, but um, it's it's going to be, I'll bet you we're going to see Derek Rodriguez or Andy Suarez or, or both of them. They're both on the taxi squad, and uh, I, I have a hard time envisioning scenarios in which they're not on the active roster pretty quick. Yeah, I was surprised on Sunday that we saw Tyler Anderson. I was surprised that we saw Connor uh, Menez. I I just figured these were guys you, you were going to use to to get length at Coors Field. Uh, but it's, look, with the 30-man roster going down to 28, you can't be as cute with the bullpen now as maybe as maybe you were in the beginning. It, it was the Giants, you know, when they came out in that exhibition series against the A's it was a pitcher and inning and it seemed to work and you're starting to think well you know maybe maybe they're on to something but you got there's a lot of trial and error just a ton of trial and error just going through all these new pitchers all these inexperienced pitchers and now that we're you know almost two weeks into the season you start to see some some truths you start to see some okay Wandy Peralta this can probably play uh Sean Anderson he's walking a lot of guys but you can see that's a bullpen arm you want. Rico Garcia, you start to make a list of who might be in the final bullpen, but it's not going to be the the sort of bullpen where all the relievers are going to appear in every game and you're going to have a bullpen game every every game. It's it's going to you're going to have to pick your spots like a normal traditional bullpen and the Giants seem so far away from that. It seems so far away from a normal pitching pattern. Yeah, the good news is that they have like you said, they've they've found a lot of interesting arms and people who 
you know, look like they could be pretty dependable. I mean, uh, Sean Anderson has looked, you know, great. He's made a couple of mistakes, but the stuff has been great. You know, Rico Garcia, I think, probably has been as impressive as anyone. Um, you know, Sam Coonrod is now on the DL. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, Caleb Barrier is a guy who can definitely get swings and misses. So um, I think they've got enough uh, pieces, and they've got enough pieces who can pitch multiple innings. But yeah, it's just, I don't think you can get through a 10 game road trip against these three opponents in these three locations, unless you start to really be able to rely on some more bulk from your, from your, uh, from your rotation. Now, if someone were to come up like a Suarez or a Derek Rodriguez, would they be out of the pen? Do you think, would they be spot starters? How do you think the giants would deploy that extra arm that gives them length? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, maybe they could start with maybe Suarez as an opener at Dodger Stadium and, and, and maybe even try to get two innings out of him and then uh, and then switch gears from there. Um, I, I could see them using the opener in, in LA for sure. Um, you know, I, I really don't, uh, to be honest, know how the Rockies set up the top of their lineup, if it's all left or all right, but that could also lead it to, to uh, an opener situation. I know Derek Rodriguez has not pitched incredibly well at Coors Field, not like a lot of people have, but um, I, yeah, I, so I don't th- I don't see him in a starting role uh, in this next series, but um, yeah, at some point they're going to probably need to cover innings, and uh, and you do that by essentially making some roster moves. And the good thing is they've got a lot of guys who have options, so you can bring them up and down. Um, and uh, you know, if, if they had, were in a situation where they had a bunch of Trevor Gotts and everybody was out of options, then then I think they'd be they'd be in even more sort of dire straits. Yeah, it looks like the Rockies are a little bit uh, opener-proof insofar as they start with uh, lefty-righty, lefty-righty, lefty. That's David Dahl at the top, Trevor Story, Charlie Blackman, Nolan Arenado, is he new? Uh, Daniel Murphy. Uh, (laughs) You know, so they they are pretty, they they don't platoon a lot at the top of their order. Um, But it's, I don't know. The part that drives me up the wall is that I don't know how Derek Rodriguez and Andrew Suarez are doing. It's, there's no minor league stats. You're not looking and saying, oh, wow, he really shut down the Salt Lake Bees last night or whatever. It's, <laughs> it's driving me nuts. Like, I, there's, it's total radio silence. Boy, he struck out nine rumble ponies last night. Well, <laughs> let's get him up here. Uh, no, I, it's hard to... Because there were patches last year where you would say, oh, Mike Yastrzemski, this guy's hitting in AAA. And you got to see that and anticipate. And now you just, is Andrew Swartz the same guy last year? Has he learned a new pitch? Has he learned two new pitches? Has he added velocity? Is he missing bats? Is he not missing bats? Oh, let's let's see at Coors and then extrapolate from there. I hate it. Yeah, and not only do we not know, but the pro scouts don't know. Other teams don't know. I mean, it really, you could, uh, if you had some elements of surprise in your organization, you could really spring some traps on people. Um, but, you know, I, I think that it, it's going to be hard for a Derek Rodriguez or an Andrew Suarez to really surprise people. Everyone sort of knows what they have, and they've been around the league, and, you know, they pitched a lot in spring training. So, um but yeah, a guy like Berriger definitely, I think, surprised the Dodgers a little bit. Who knows? Maybe, uh, maybe the guy they got from the Mets could could be a surprise as well. Um, but uh, you know, it's it's sort of crazy to think we're a sixth of the way through the season, and um, I, I, maybe we're maybe we're a hundred percent of the way through the season, and, and they don't play another game. I really did think about that when I walked out of the ballpark uh, after Sunday's game. I thought, you know what? This this may 
this may be the last home game I cover. This may be the last time uh, in 2020 I get to walk into a, a baseball stadium because the season, I, I almost think it's a coin flip, whether the, the, the season falls apart while the Giants are away on this 10-game trip. I forget about this a lot because the Giants are in something of uh, of their own little bubble where they, they aren't dealing with a lot of that news. They're not doing, they're not affected as directly by the Marlins or or what the, the Phillies or the Blue Jays or the Orioles or the Yankees and all that schedule uh, mishmash, that seems like a billion miles away. The Giants are just sort of playing baseball games and there's cardboard cutouts and everything's working as planned, but we all know how fragile that is. And you're right. I mean, this is a 10-game road trip. They are going to be on the road, just different places, and who knows what those 10 days will bring. We've seen how quickly everything can fall apart. Yeah, the West is really the only region that hasn't been affected now that the the Cardinals are dealing with it, and, and we know about the Phillies and the Marlins, obviously. And you know, it's wild to think that the Marlins are still like in playoff position with a two and one record. And Rob Manfred is is saying, well, you know, there's this thing called winning percentage, you dummy. We can always use that, even if teams play like 28 games. It's and I'm I'm thinking, is he for real? Does he? I mean, I don't know. I every time Rob Manfred opens his mouth, I just want to be like, just don't, just issue a statement because, and that's probably going to sound bad too. But uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I go back and forth with it. I mean, I'm, I'm certainly glad to be able to watch the games. I'm glad to be able to write about the games. I also feel like this is not going to work, but they, they're plowing ahead. So, And if you're listening to this and you have any inclination, if there is a voice in your head that says, here we go again, the writer's rooting for this season to be canceled, you need to take that voice out and just bury it under 17 feet of dirt because the writers are not rooting for the season to be canceled. We're just paying attention, and I, I like having a job. You, you like having a job, Andy? You know, it, it's it's pretty good, yeah. Yeah, so, so I like having this job. It's a fantastic job, and I need baseball to have it, and I really like baseball and watching it and it's been fun i've had just a lot of fun the giants have played 10 games have won five of them uh there's new players it's it's exciting i get to pretend like i know uh if austin slater's for real i i'm like just excited uh, i chadwick trump uh chadwick trump you know what i mean like everything i'm excited about baseball uh I just, I don't know if it's the right thing. I don't know if it's possible. I don't know without a, a bubble. I don't know if, if there's a way to prevent all these infections. And I don't know if there's a way to have, like, a proper bubble. It just, it has to be 1,800 people coming together and, and all individually being as safe as they possibly can. And that's not the story of this country. That is just not what is going on. And so, I don't know, I'm nervous, but I do want baseball to continue. Yeah, I mean, there, there are a lot of people whose livelihoods depend on it. And I'm not thinking about the players. I'm thinking about all the other people employed by baseball. And, you know, obviously the vendors and the um, and the ushers and all the day, day of game people, uh, all the people who sell products, uh, you know, during games, they, they, they're not going to make their money back. They're not going to, um, uh, they're still going to be out. But, you know, there's a lot of TV production people. There's a lot of, of uh, people who work for, for baseball clubs that I think if they d- can't make some revenue this year are probably going to lose their jobs. In some cases already have. Um, scouts who've gotten furloughed, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I don't think about the players as much uh, as, as, but even in their case, you know, they're, they're players who aren't, you know, multimillionaires and, and they have a small 
window to earn money in their careers. And, and they're taking all the risks to do it. And, and all the other uh, people, the security people, the cleaning people, um, there aren't a lot of, of folks at the ballpark. I mean, it's a pretty skeleton crew. Um, so, and I, just being there, it doesn't feel like an area that's unsafe because they're taking so many precautions, but every single person who's there, you know, I appreciate the fact that they're there and, and I'm sure they appreciate the fact that they be, get to be able to, to, to get some work hours in and punch a clock. Um, so, you know, I, I, I sort of applaud everyone for trying to make it happen yet at the same time, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's problematic. And I'm not just talking about how you figure out by winning percentage who deserves that last wildcard spot, but just, you know, you just hope that we don't get in a situation where somebody has a complication and then gets seriously ill, or if anybody loses their life, it's not worth it. So um, that's sort of where my reservations are. Yeah. If you are feeling too happy and upbeat, if you're just in too good of a mood, uh, I encourage you to read what I wrote after the, the home opener, because I went in there thinking I'm going to you know write about what I did on my summer vacation, and I went to a baseball game where there were no fans, and here's how strange it is, and, and you know, I was, wasn't excited about that angle, but I thought that was going to be my only takeaway, and it wasn't, because what what I really noticed was the life around, in and around the ballpark is gone, where you're walking through, and you see all these stands, and you're seeing uh, all these vendors that aren't there, all the workers who aren't there and then you go outside and the momo's patio is empty and baseballism is is closed and you know i'm sure that that rent is more than a couple bucks a month and when you go down the lefty dual bridge and there's those sort of corners where the bootleg shirts are usually there the the hot bacon wrapped hot dogs that's someone's livelihood and that's not there and it, it just it hit me it was just so depressing that you know, you have this baseball game, and yes, it's a little quirky, and there's piped-in crowd noise, but that's not the real story, because when you're outside, you see the devastation, and it is, man, I just, I cannot wait for everything to return to as normal as we deserve at some point in the future, and it just, it feels like a million years away. Yeah, well, you know, we'll we'll get there, you know, and, and we'll probably appreciate it all the more once we are able to congregate and cheer together and be a community again. You know, until then, it's, I, you know, it, it's, it's nice to be able to watch the games and, you know, sort of critique performances. You know, to change gears a little bit, uh, I think probably the most interesting figure uh, that we're learning about with the Giants this season is their manager. How is this going to work with Gabe Kapler as manager? And, and he certainly had an interesting homestand as well. He did, he did. He had the anti Bochi, or maybe the uh, an analogous to Mattingly moment where he came out immediately after his pitching coach, and they he tried to remove a pitcher, and the umpire said that's against the rules, and so he couldn't remove the pitcher that he wanted to, and it was a little embarrassing. Uh, is this a big deal, or is this not a big deal? Uh, I go back and forth. I, I think with experience will come. Uh, the ability to not do this. At the same time, it's jarring after Bruce Bochy's deft bullpen management to see that so quickly and so soon after the season starts. So where do you fall on that? Do you think it is damaging or do you think, hey, no harm, no foul? It's something you side-eye and it's something you go, oh, that is sure not Bochy, but I wouldn't say it's like knocking him down several rungs in, in the in the dugout confidence. Uh, I think it's it kind of a, a much ado about nothing, but still something you side eye and go, yeah, we're not in Kansas anymore, except you're talking 
talking about Bruce Bochy. I mean, it was going to be hard for anyone to replace Bruce Bochy. It was going to be hard for anyone to endure those comparisons. Um, we know that Gabe Kapler was, the people who were against this hire were very vocal about it. And, you know, it's, it's hard to say that it was an unpopular hire or, or whatever, because we don't really have a, a, a huge, you know, collection of data to really know that. We just know the people that were against it were pretty outspoken for a number of reasons. Some because of how he handled the situation, um, you know, with, with domestic violence in the uh, when he was Dodgers farm director. But probably for most baseball fans, it's just that, hey, he, he managed a Phillies team that really didn't do a whole lot in two years. He got fired with a year on his contract. And when he first took the job, he called for a reliever who hadn't warmed up and, and the uh, umpires uh, let, let the pitcher warm up just so he wouldn't get hurt out of pity. And the, the league sent him a strongly worded memo saying, dude, clean up your act. And, uh, you know, I go back to what Farhan Zaidi said at the postseason press conference last year in October, you know, when he said what he was going to look for in a manager. And he said, sometimes you have guys who've been, done the job once and maybe they've had some failures and they've learned from those failures and you benefit from that because you've learned from their failures in other places. <clears throat> and right then I thought he's talking about Gabe Kapler. And if Gabe Kapler gets fired, that's the guy he's probably going to hire. Um, the problem is anybody who, um, had made up their mind that they didn't like Gabe Kapler or that they were really, really sort of, um, like you said, side-eyeing this hire, they just got their red meat. They just got their confirmation bias and, and, and now they've got their ammo and it, it just was a bad look for a major league manager. I mean, this wasn't Don Mattingly, the hitting coach who was the third string guy, uh, who was out there doubling back to the mound. I mean, he's probably not really supposed to know all those rules. But when you've been a major league manager for two years and you've had a couple of problems with pitching changes, um, you know, you got to know that stuff up and down. And I, I think it's it, the game was pretty much decided at that point. But at the same time, I think players have to have the trust that the the coaching staff is going to know what's going on at all times, that they're going to have their, their, you know, eye on every detail on the field, that they're going to have everything buttoned up you know, it's kind of like when you board a flight, you don't want to worry about, you know, the pilot saying, well, what, what does that switch do? You know, it's <laughs> even if that switch doesn't do anything, you want them to know what it does. Um, but uh, so, you know, I think that it is going to be something that that uh, is going to give more ammo to his critics. And also it's probably going to, you know, maybe lead to some questions within the clubhouse to some degree. Just, hey, you know, how 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 buttoned up are we really? And the only way he can... He can fix that is by not doing it again and having a track record of success and putting guys in good positions. Because I, I think he's done a really good job, honestly, uh, with the, what he did in spring training, the culture he started to create, the way he's used his platforms for social justice without that becoming a super divisive thing on the team, to our knowledge. Um, there's a lot to commend him for. And, uh, you know, sticking with Hunter Pence in the cleanup spot and then Pence rewarding him with the triple. That, I mean, that took courage. Um, but, you know, he can't let happen. Uh, things like that happen again. Full disclosure, I have watched baseball a lot in my life, and I was unclear about the rule. I, I, in my, in my little pea brain, I thought that it was somewhat common for the pitching coach to come out, stall a little bit, and then the manager comes out right away. Uh, I, I, in my head, you know, it's kind of like a Berenstain Bears thing. I, I just thought that that happened all the time, so I was a little taken aback. Uh, but I'm a, I'm a podcaster and a writer, not a major league manager, and so yeah. I feel as if I I can fly under the radar with that, uh, where he might not. So where you see it is the catcher comes out, and the catcher will stall, and then they'll you know break it up, and, and the umpire will come out, and the catcher will go back, and then the umpire, and then the the manager will come out. But if it's a coach or a manager, 
uh, you can't make two visits within the same plate appearance. Uh, and the rule is that if you make a second uh, appearance, uh, the, and, and you have to be warned by the umpire that it's not legal for you to do so. So the umpire has to say something, um, which I think they did to Kapler. Uh, then that pitcher has to stay in. They can't be removed, has to pitch to that batter until that batter reaches base or is retired. And then that pitcher has to come out of the game. So when you remember back to Mattingly, it was Jonathan Broxton and Tim McClellan was the umpire and they screwed it up. They had Broxton leave the game where Broxton should have stayed in to face the batter, which I think was Andres Torres. Instead, George Sherrill came out of the bullpen, and they came out out later, and they said, "Hey, we didn't. Uh, the umpires didn't apply this correctly." Uh, so even then, uh, when Bruce Bochy called him out on that rule, no one really understood it. <laughs> Still funny all these years later. Still yeah. funny. All right, this has been episode ninety-one of the Bags and Brisby podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Tanika Smothers for producing us. We will be back on Thursday to talk about a lot of Coors Field baseball. It's just exhausting thinking about it from here. All right, but thanks for listening, and we will see you then.